This presentation is going to be different than anything we've done on Bible Hacking Channel so far. We are doing a debate. So I was invited to this by a, a, a newly found friend of mine, a Christian brother who runs a phenomenal organization called Letters from the DMZ up in Detroit, Michigan. A Christian-based organization that seeks to foster communication and debate and open, transparent, uncensored, unlimited um, discussion that's, you know, from a Christian um, perspective. Phenomenal. I strongly recommend that you go and follow his content, read his blogs, etc. That's lettersfromthedmz.com. This debate was about free speech or censorship and the Christians. Specifically, is free speech a nicety that we stumbled upon or is it something mandated from the Bible? Um, I, Greg, will take the side that while awesome, free speech is not mandated from the Bible. Steve takes the side, um, you know, the, op the opposing side. Um, what I found phenomenal about this conversation was since we are Christian brothers, we, while disagreeing, we were able to disagree amicably, like brothers. We were able to have a conversation, not necessarily come out to the same point, but still leave the conversation as brothers. And I give Steve much kudos for that. Um, this is something uh, we both believe is missing from the Christian um, perspective lately. Um, it's always about if, you're, if you don't agree with me, that means you must be a heretic, you must be evil or whatever. And that is just not biblically accurate. There are going to be things that we disagree on. Um, and we see that template definitely in the New Testament, but you see it throughout the Bible as well. So as is usual with Bible hacking, we went at this, um, is free speech mandated by the Bible? Out of the Bible. So both Steve and I um, use the Bible as our proof text and as our you know, fundamental backing. And we had a phenomenal conversation. There was Q&A as well. Um, so once again, go to lettersfromthedmz.com to follow Steve and his content. And I hope this is a blessing to you. Uh, any questions you have that you want us to debate or discuss further, drop them down in the comments. Uh, and remember to share this with a friend that could benefit from the conversation. Thank you. Well, welcome to tonight's debate. My name is Scott. I will be the moderator for our two gentlemen um, as opposing <laughs> um, adversaries, I guess is what we could say, um, <laughs> although friends, friendly adversaries. Uh, the, the topic for the debate is if freedom of speech, while agreeing that it is good and useful, is it a biblical principle? We have Gregory Richardson and also my father, Steve Schlichter. Um, Greg, would you like to introduce yourself first? Father? I didn't know it was oh. biased. I am totally yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nepotism in there. Yeah, the nepotism's real, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right. I'm an unbiased source. My name is um, Greg. I go by the persona on the internet of the Bible hacker. Um, so I am a cybersecurity professional in by day and a Christian studier of the Bible by night. Um, you can find me on YouTube, podcasts, pretty much every podcast platform, website, Twitter, Facebook, IG, all at Bible Hacking. 
Um, so biblehacking.org, Facebook, Bible hacking, YouTube, Bible hacking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the nature of our channel and what we're leveraging for tonight's debate as well is applying the studying the Bible in its correct context and applying it accurately the way the original authors would have intended. So we, we fight against taking the Bible out of context and cherry picking little parts of verses. Example I like to give all the time is you wouldn't do it with a chocolate chip cookie recipe. You wouldn't take two lines out of the middle of it and say, hey, mix eggs and flour, chocolate chip cookies, yay. That would be the nastiest chocolate chip cookie ever. So why are we doing it with the Bible? So that's what Bible hacking is about. I hope you guys will give me a follow. Um, there's tons of content out there. And on that note, Sir Steve. All right. Thanks, Greg. Uh, I'm just going to uh, talk a little bit about what we have going on. Um, we had a meeting to talk about uh, setting up some of these debates. So I have a website that a few of you have been to. That's where you can go to uh, register, taking a look at it right here. Um, uh, you can go here to register for, for upcoming debates as they come up. We had a meeting to talk about future topics. Uh, there's a section here for topics that are coming up, like we just uh, discussed. We're working on a social justice one for next month on March 9th. We had ideas about uh, distinctions between Catholics and Protestants, atheism versus theism, um, as well as some that are that are actually have outstanding challenges. Someone who wants to argue for presuppositional apologetics um, being the only kind of apologetics. And you have the ability, if you're saying, hey, this is a topic I'm interested, let me know. You can email me, there's a link there. Um, or if you actually want to debate and answer one of these challenges, uh, that's, uh, that's available in this second uh, part, as well as you can get past, you can go to uh, past events that we've had. The reason you say, you might, you're probably asking, why don't you just do this on YouTube? Why don't you do this on Facebook? Um, and my personal reason used to be mildly because of privacy issues. Privacy issues have kind of taken a backseat to me. I can't have a conversation on Facebook or Twitter. I, I wanna talk about vaccines. Hey, these seem rushed. Is this safe? I'm not allowed to talk about that. Hey, there's data about this election. Twitter tells me I'm not allowed to post articles about that. So as a Christian, I see, you know, a, a guy in a dress and I'm wondering, is that fair that he's doing weightlifting with women? Not allowed to talk about that as a Christian. I, and these, these used to be hyperbolic examples and I, these are actually real examples. And I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone um, has, has had those kind of experiences. So this is just a way to make sure that I can I can keep in touch and keep doing these kind of things in an unmoderated way. I don't mind someone moderating how long I talk, but I don't want them moderating what it is that I say. Um, so if you if there's all the events are on are on here as they come up, you're you're welcome to register. Registering is just a name and an email. Um, I know some of you get to connected through Chris on Facebook. Um, and you're welcome to keep doing that, but, but that's just why I'm doing this as kind of a, a separate, separate function, separate from like social media influences. And I, I just think strategically, I want to try to control content. And the only, um, it's not really content that I'm producing here. It's just a way to, the, the value that we can share is, is kind of related to the topic that we have tonight. The, 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 the value we share is the ability that we want to get to the, the uh, desire to get to the truth. And we can do that together in disagreement um, and uh, uh, with truth, uh, seeking for truth using grace 
um, with each other, with non-believers. Um, that's the only value that really is, is kind of being, being represented here. All right, all right. So with the introductions done, I do just wanna say that both parties have agreed to a format here. We're gonna be doing a 15 minute um, uh, argument first, then with an eight minute rebuttal to follow afterwards. Um, I'm going to warn you guys two minutes in when you're about to time and I'm not going to like wait for a point to sneak it in there. I'm just going to say two minutes. So hopefully that doesn't take you off course. Um, and uh, kind of before, if um, the other party agrees in the end, if they want to finish up their point after the two, you know, the two minute warnings up, I'll let them do that. Um, and then if you have any questions, please stay on mute during the time of the debate. Afterwards, we're going to have like a Q&A. Um, if you put it in the chat, I'll be able to actually kind of put you in a queue and then we can actually have you talk with the debaters here and um, I'll be able to see that. You can even just ping me privately or publicly. It doesn't matter, whatever you'd like. So with that, uh, Steve is going to go first. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Your 15 minutes begins now. Okay, great. Okay, so um, the ability that, that we have to think for ourselves and talk freely about something, I think is something that we can all get behind to, to some degree. So I don't, I wanna make sure not to try to position this argument, you know, that Greg's against free speech and I'm for it. That's not the argument at all. And I'm, and I'm sure Greg would probably appreciate that not being cast that way. Um, the argument that I wanna make is that the freedom is, of speech is not just that we have uh, conveyed uh, you know, maybe not perfectly, but but how we have it in, in the uh, First Amendment isn't just a cultural anomaly, isn't just a cultural preference or a cultural shibboleth, which is a cool word that I like to look for opportunities to use, but it's a reflection of honor due universally to humans as a result of their position as delegates of God. That is, that they carry the, the, the image of God. Free speech is a universal right. We convey it in the terms of right, but it's actually a responsibility that's rooted in the image of God. And that's the idea that I want to try to, um, to, try to get here. Without, without spending too much time on what the image of God is, I just want to encapsulate it uh, for, just for the sake of brevity, that the image of God is a delegation that we have. Um, not necessarily physical characteristics about humans, but that we represent God to the world and that we intercede like priests for the world to God. And that image of God is what encapsulate is going to be the basis for the argument that I have that free speech is a, is a biblical concept. Okay, so what I'm not going to be able to do is point you to a verse that has the First Amendment in it. If, um, you know, if that's the measure then I'm afraid Greg's gonna, gonna win this debate. But what I'm gonna try to do is demonstrate, um, I'm gonna try to demonstrate this idea here that what, what we're looking at is an Old Testament concept. And a, and a proper approach to this is to take the specific commands in the Old Testament, and I'm gonna try to take the, the entire council of the Old Testament, and, as well as the New Testament, and derive from that concepts about God, concepts about people, derive principles for that, from that, and then, and then when we plop that down into our culture, what does that, what does that look like? Um, and I wanna to try to convey this as best I can in, in the next uh, 13 minutes or so um, in a way that is most universal to not just our culture, but to any. 
So a person who, who conveys the image of God, who carries the image of God, who is a delegate of God, exists in, 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 in his present form right here. This man, this, the man in the middle represent a, a, a human at present time. In the past, it gets grayer going into the past, the blue and the green going into the future. <clears throat> right, so what this represents is a person's life in, in their entire expression, how they choose to live their life, how they choose to enact the image of God and, and the responsibility based on the word, based on conscience, based on commands of God. What they do in the past uh, can accumulate, it can accumulate property. We can see here that, that uh, in the past, this person has did things and maybe he bought a house, maybe he got this bag of cash, whatever he did in the past, that's how he um, decided to represent the image of God, how he carried the image of God. What he does presently, what kind of work he does with his hands, with his feet, whether it's work that he desires, it's a work that he's finds purposeful, or even if it's work that he has to do in order because he chooses, he needs to take care of his family or make sure he has food. Um, what kind of associations he has, person can set aside their rights of uh, uh, to their to the to their past, their present, and their future to join associations. Church might be an example of that. I, I join a church and that to some degree, and I think to church to kind of a, to a small degree, I'm willing to give up certain things, how I live my uh, life to accommodate a group. And I might, and I have a little guy there defending, uh, defending because that they're, they're defensive of, of themselves, self-defense or defense of that group is also a part of that ability to, to maintain your responsibility and rights carrying the image of God. What you do going into the future is also the, the work you do, what your plans are, goals you have. If you want to go to school to get an education, you might work in the past to accumulate a certain amount of money to be able to do a certain amount of certain things. So you have certain skill set moving on into the future. So this is how someone expresses the image of God in the past, in the present, and in their future. And there's restrictions on what other people can do in our human activity what other people can do um, in relationship to each other, right? In the past, you can't steal what someone has accumulated. You don't covet what someone has accumulated. You can't use unequal weights and measures to cheat someone out of what they've accumulated. In the present, you can't kidnap people, Old Exodus 21, 16. You can't put them in forced servitude. You can't commit extortion. You can't oppress people. Something's, if something is oppressive, it's wrong because it's denying them the full um, uh, expression of the image of God in their life. In the future, you can't take away someone's future by murdering them. Genesis 9, 6 um, tells us that whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You can't kill a person because they're made in the image of God. And that, that extends both to what they're doing in their present. You can't extort them for the same reason. Um, you can't kidnap them and force them to work for you for the same reason. And you can't steal the things that they, that they used um, to, in, their, in their past life to accumulate property. Um, so past, present, future, there's restrictions on, on our human interactions because of the image of God. And past, present, future can also be expressed in um, life, right? In the future, you can't take someone's life. Present, 
liberty, you can't take their, their uh, liberty away from them, and property, you can't take the past, the way they've used their life in the past to, to either accumulate property because you don't have any business getting between them and how they express themselves with the image of God. <clears throat> so um, free will, what, there's a couple of concepts for, that, that I think we can, that we can uh, derive out of this kind of uh, ex uh, expression of the image of God. So I wanna talk about those real quick. So one is that, that I think we can see from the Bible that free will, at least temporarily, is valued above the absence of sin. If God wanted there not to be sin, it, he would have been very easy to, to write. We have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We could have, he could have built a barrier around that. He chose to have the choice, the liberty of the choice, more than he wanted the absence of sin. And if God values that, then we don't have the, the, the right to, to, um, to, to, to value the absence of sin more than the free will of other people. Uh, in the Bible, liberty is always a blessing. In the Old Testament, loss of freedom is always a judgment. In, 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 in the Exodus, it was the, the, the um, delivery of freedom and liberty that was, that was the blessing, even though it led to sin in the cycle of judges where sin, where liberty, uh, oppression would be lifted up by a judge, that liberty, even though it resulted to sin, was still a blessing and was still considered a good thing. Um, <clears throat> truth, truth requires speech. So, so this is a, maybe a general concept, and I imagine, and maybe not in the presentation, wouldn't be wouldn't be Greg's preference, but there might be a, a lack of disagreement on on some of these things. But the question then is, how does this? How do we know that free speech is included in this? And I think we can tell that free speech is included simply because it's not excluded, right? I I can't take a person. Um, I can take. I can purchase a cow and I can kill a cow, I can take a donkey and I can strap a, uh, a cart to its back. Those are things I can do to a donkey because they don't carry the image of God. A person carries the image of God, that's why you can't do those things to a person. And that's not just what he does with his hands and with his feet, but it's also what he does with his speech. And I'd like to try to take the next few minutes to demonstrate that that is actually central, that, that, true, that speech isn't just one of the facets of, of, of ways that we carry the image of God. Uh, speech is actually a very important and central one. Truth requires speech. And speech uh, in the Old Testament is demonstrated to be above uh, governing authorities. When King David uh, sins, even though he's a man after, his, after God's own heart, and he sends a prophet is able to speak to him. And in, in, in other Near East cult, ancient Near East cultures, prophets spoke to the kings. But the prophets in the Old Testament spoke not just to kings, but also spoke to people. Kings were rebuked by prophets through the exercising of free speech. Um, even in, that's in a kind of a governing capacity. Even in the church, elders are, 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 and Titus 1.9 tells us that elders are, are, it's important that they're able to reason and refute falsehoods, not just avoid them. So liberty is enacted, for, enacted the purposes of uh, liberty is enacting the purposes of God in our lives and includes what we do with our hands, our feet, and our speech. 
and I think it's actually centered on our speech. And there's a couple of reasons, um, making sure we're doing all right on time. Uh, a couple of reasons I think that's true. One, uh, one is because power corrupts and speech prevents the abuse of power. So the, the example I've gave of David Bathsheba um, and, and David being um, uh, confronted by that. First Samuel 8, I'm not going to have time to read the passage, is where, where uh, Samuel actually encourages, discourages them from selecting a king because a king will take away liberty from the people. He'll take your sons. He'll take your daughters. He'll take a tenth of your income. He'll take basically what was supposed to be God's tithe will now go to the king. Liberty and, and by extension, democracy is actually not possible without free speech. That's the first reason. The, the second, and that those, that's coming from the Old Testament, the image of God, the second is this, the image of God enables and requires us to think and speak for ourselves. Numerous occasions in the Bible, we're told to choose, choose, choose. Deuteronomy 30, 19, choose life. Joshua 24, 15, choose who you're going to serve. Matthew eleven eighteen, and Revelation, come you're weary and you and, and and heavy laden with this burden come and you will be set free from your burden. Those are choices. The image of God requires us to be able to make choices. Uh, third reason is that speech, free speech, is needed to spread the gospel. Matthew 28, 19 tells us to, to teach everything that Jesus taught. And we can't do that unless we have the ability to speak freely. Uh, Acts 5, the apostles um, were, were told to, that they can no longer preach the gospel, and they said, we, we, do we have to choose? Are we going to obey God, or are we going to obey men? And that, that message is really important because it's, what they're saying is there's a sphere of authority that the government has, other entities might have, like the church, for example. Two minutes. Cool, thank you. But they don't have the authority to override your speech. You still have the authority, no matter what the government says, you still have the authority um, to, preach, to, to, uh, to preach the gospel because speech, the, the restriction of speech is not in the sphere of government. Um, one, last, uh, one last reason I'm gonna try to, to sneak in here is this idea of humility. Humility is a, is a biblical concept. We're, we're taught to, to um, to follow the example of Christ in his humility, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what I'm, what I'm saying is necessary with uh, um, the freedom of speech is, is, is epistemological humility. How do we know what we know? And we can see that if we, if we, if we block other people from being able to question and challenge what we know, we, we are taking a position of pride and God opposes the proud. And in history, we can see this happening multiple times. The very gospel in, prior to the Reformation, the very gospel itself was restricted and it was let loose through the printing press and through freedom of speech. Um, slavery is another example that in the uh, the Baptist church, actually, there was a Baptist church and the Southern Baptist church, and the only 
distinctive was that was their stance on slavery. In the South, slavery was legally and culturally questioning slavery was legally and culturally stifling. Uh, any questions towards slavery were stifled. So history has proven that the church can be wrong. And I'm not saying a church needs to second guess its doctrines, but the church doesn't have the authority and the government doesn't have the authority to um, squelch. Okay, you're out of time. If you just All want right. to finish your thought. And then okay. we'll go from there. Um, John Stuart Mill is an, is an example of the idea of epistemological uh, humility. And he, uh, he, he encourages us to keep uh, speech free because the challenge and truth often comes from very unpopular ideas. So thank you. All right, all right. Okay, so that was 15 minutes with Steve. And then now we have another 15 minutes for Gregory. Gregory, are you ready? Uh, let me make sure I have screen sharing permission. I do not yet. Give me one second. Let me get that screen sharing permission from Chris. And then we can proceed because I will need to share some documents to refute everything. <laughs> All right. Yep. Hey, Gregory, on your, on your mark, um, we'll start. So <clears throat> hold on a second again. You want to do a test real quick to see if you could share something? I, I, I tested it already. Okay. It's all good. Sweet. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. Let's go. Your, your time begins now. So again, thanks for having me, um, Steve, and um, letters from the DMZ organization. Um, I took some copious notes while you were delivering your, um, um, your perspective. And while I can kind of pick them asunder bit by bit, um, I'm going to in start with, in this um, 15 minute time slot, kind of just spelling it out from a biblical perspective. Again, I wanna reiterate that my concern is not whether free speech is good or not. Um, if you look over my shoulder on this side, sorry, there's literally a constitution behind me. And I did not just put it there for the sake of you know, um, this um, talk. I always have it there. I was tested on it. Um, you know, I'm an immigrant, so I, I had to be tested on my knowledge of you know the U.S. Um, legal system in order to legally immigrate here. So, like, I know the Constitution really well. I have, by free will, moved myself and my family some two thousand miles away from literally any other family in the world to the U.S. because I think it's a good place. So I say all that to say, if you hear me say some, you know, uh, some things that come across as harsh, I'll ask you to be graceful and weigh what I'm saying in light of what I just said, that I, of my own free will, moved my family to this country because I think it's a good country. All that being said, um, freedoms, freedom of speech, while good, is most definitely not something that is um, um, prescribed or, or in any way, shape, or form inferred out of the Bible. Um, and I, I'll kind of walk through Old to New Testament um, to kind of make my point on that. And I'm going to share a screen now. So you should have that screen share. Um, and basically, let's start in the Old Testament. In the, you know, Exodus 20, verse 7, thou shall not Take the name of the Lord in vain, for the Lord will not hold guilty anyone who takes his name in vain. 
That's from the Decalogue, you know, the Ten Commandments, the first 10 out of 600 and almost 20 laws that Yahweh gave the children of Israel. And one of the first ones is concerning putting a limitation on what you can say. So this take the Lord's name in vain is often, you know, in my Christian upbringing, it was, it was <clears throat> brought across as, you know, it's not cursing or not swearing or not saying, you know, um, the Lord's name. That's not what this means. What this term actually refers to is not representing what is God's as if it were not his and vice versa. So not carrying yourself and saying, hey, I'm a Christian. This is the way I'm supposed to live or in the context of the verse, I'm an Israelite. You know, I'm carrying God's, God, God's name, but then living in a way that is unlike what God prescribes us to do. So it's very literally talking about carrying and representing. So this is already kind of going against what um, Steve said, but I, like I said, I won't go deeper into that. So here already we're told, we're given a hard limitation on our speech. That's in the Bible. Let's go to my next verse. Um, in the same Decalogue, um, um, Exodus 20, 15, thou shalt not give false testimony against your neighbor. And you'll see a, a, a trend, uh, um, you know, popping up here. Um, again, speech is limited here. This is explicitly talking about lying. And it, the Bible says, do not lie against your neighbor. And in the New Testament, we'll kind of see the meta narrative of what it is the scripture was getting at. But let's continue the journey. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> This one is in Leviticus, and here we actually get a discussion in terms of the punishments for taking the Lord's name in vain or for misusing or cursing God or saying bad things about God. So it wasn't just um, one of those sins that, you know, hey, it's not good, you know, smack on the fingers, don't do it. They must surely be put to death. Like this was a harsh thing. An interesting side note here, the whole congregation must surely stone him, whether he's a foreigner or a, or a native citizen, when he misuses the name, he must be put to death. And this kind of goes contra my argument, but I'll, I'll give it in all candor and transparency here. Um, stoning was actually one of the things that does appear or the principle behind stoning does appear in our um, legal um, framework because stoning was considered an expression of representing yourself verbally before your accusers. If you look at every instance where stoning was prescribed, it always involved the people that you have wronged. So the people who saw you or heard you doing this wrong thing, you had to come in front of them and say it, and you could, you know, say, no, I didn't mean it that way, blah, blah, blah. That's where you had the opportunity to defend yourself, which is akin to what we have now, where in our legal system, you are required to face your accusers. So that trend, it, you, I could say it's biblically based, but the trend of, oh, you, you just have freedom of speech and you can kind of, you know, say whatever, that's very much, in my opinion, against the larger narrative of the Bible. Let's continue. Um, Proverbs 10. And, the, and again, read Proverbs. And this is what we do on Bible hacking. You know, we like to understand what the scripture means well and accurately. And Proverbs is one of those touchy things. It was called wisdom literature. It is not a promise and it is not a prescription. It is a, a wisdom, a wise saying. So, you know, you can kind of go either way or not on it. A good example of that would be um, you raise up a child in the way you should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That is not a promise that if you raise up your child, you won't um, ever leave it. That is a 
a recommendation. If you raise up your child properly, don't spoil them, etc. Um, they'll they'll um, not depart from it. Take this in Proverbs as the same thing. When words abound, transgression is inevitable. In other words, a lot of words, a lot of talking um, causes sin or transgression. But he who restrains his words, the opposite of freedom of speech, is wise. Um, there's another one in Proverbs here. Did I just double click the same thing? Yes, I did. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love its use will eat its fruit. This is not a name it, claim it verse. This is quite the opposite. This is saying you will reap the consequences of what you say. So you best guard your tongue, rein it in, because if you say the wrong things and lie and you're untruthful or whatever, you're going to eat the fruits of what you are, um, what your tongue is doing. So again, the Bible is slanted towards limiting speech rather than, um, you know, saying, hey, you know, you can say whatever. That being said, I want to stress again, there are aspects of speech that should be free and that are good. And we see that in the New Testament as well, but I'm not going to make Steve's argument for him. I think he's doing an excellent job of that on his own, but uh, I'm just saying this is not exclusive. It's a very nuanced stance. Um, let's go into Luke now. Um, God, I had it highlighting. There we go. Luke, though we're in the New Testament, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, not curse them back or speak back against them or even defend yourself against them. Quite the contrary, the onus is on us as imagers of Christ to rein in our tongues. And when we even, even when things are unjust occasionally, this is the, the posture we need to take. And you see that, um, that, that concept recurring in scripture a lot. Love your enemies. The same concept um, happens in Matthew 14. Same thing happens in Roman, Romans as well. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So again, it's not about self-defense. The onus is on living in harmony with one, each other, with one another. Um, as if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. That means if you need to hold your tongue in order to live peaceably, that is what the Bible is prescribing. And as we go through the New Testament, particularly the epistles of Paul, particularly the pastoral epistles, we see guidelines being set by Paul constantly that lean towards how do you keep peace with those in church, in ecclesia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You keep the peace by guarding how you speak, what you say. There's, there's lessons and guidelines on how to approach those that are older than you. Um, approach them with, with gentleness, even if they're wrong and you need to correct them. How you approach them um, speaks volumes. And I, I think this is some, something in our Western culture we could probably do a lot of good with. We, if I'm being genuine, we have probably overcorrected towards the side of, I feel this, I want to say this, so I'm going to say it with less consideration as to what the harm is that this can do. Quite frankly, is it truthful what I'm saying? It's very, and I'm not picking on Steve with this. I, I, I like Steve. I love Steve. Uh, we've, Steve and I have engaged several times over the last couple of weeks. I'm definitely not saying Steve is like this, but there's a tendency in our society today to repeat whatever rumor, conspiracy theory, or whatever have you, without even considering, is it possible that this is not truthful? Should I do an extra check first and rein in my freedom to be able to say this thing 
because I want to make sure that what I'm about to say or repeat or post on social media is actually truthful. That is what the Bible prescribes because again, 1218 Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people, including those who persecute you, including those who treat you poorly. And I'm going to skip forward a bit now because I see I got four minutes left. Um, Ephesians 4.32, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of one in need. Again, the onus is not, the onus is more on us as Christians to reign in our tongues and not say everything that comes to our mind and not just espouse that we have freedom of speech, which is true, we do, we have the capacity to say whatever we'd like to say. The Bible says, in spite of your capacity and ability to say anything you can say, we are recommending you be extra cautious that what you're saying is not unwholesome, and unwholesome is, is, a, is a low bar to set. So Paul double downs on it. Not only should it not be unwholesome, but it should be beneficial for the building up. So that cuts out a lot of the freedom of speech things because a lot of what we say, while potentially true, has zero benefit for the building up of my brother or sister. So again, I believe, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the timer, Scott. Um, I see I got about three minutes left. Um, I believe the, um, the scripture is very clear. The onus is on us as believers to rein in our tongues, control them, keep them under subjection because it is more important for us to live in peace with each other, live in harmony with each other, and build up each other than it is for us to defend ourselves, curse those who persecute us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does this um, take away any explicit rights? No, it doesn't. It's not about rights. As a matter of fact, the Bible is not about our rights as humans so much as it is about our desire and ability to image God, I'm using Steve's own term in a different context, um, to the rest of the world by how we represent him in loving for each other. So I'm going to close on the, my two-minute uh, mark there, Scott, and um, I'm going to stop sharing screen right now as well. That was it. Okay. Yeah. Right on the nose. Two minutes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you, Greg. So um, what we're going to do now, um, we're going to go into the rebuttal portion of the uh, debate tonight. Um, it, again, if you have any questions, um, uh, we're going to do them after both of our uh, participants rebuttal. Uh, if you have any that you want to think of now, please put them in the chat privately or publicly. I'll put you in, in the queue. Um, Steve, are you ready at eight minutes for a rebuttal? I think so. Okay. All right. Your time begins now. Okay. Uh, so thank you, Greg, for, for those points. Those are very good points. And I, uh, I've really enjoyed, uh, uh, this time as well as the time that we've spent, um, talking about getting prepared for this as well as 3d printing that, that came along with it. Um, one concern I have is I think I think we're on a little bit of a different wavelength because there's nothing that you said that I that I disagree with, um, and I think uh, if I try let me let me pick your the the Old Testament 
um, context, let me pick on that one first. I think that that falls under the umbrella of associations that I talked about. So my uh, my um, my membership in the church certainly restricts the things that I think, maybe not the things that I question or have questions about. I can't go to church and say, hey, I don't believe Jesus is God, right? I have, I've, I'm voluntarily restricting my speech as part of that membership. And that could be a church, could be a country club that has those kind of voluntary restrictions. Um, so that is definitely true. And, and everything you said about our conduct, how we use our speech, I totally agree with. There's no question that our speech can be abused, that with, even though we have the image of God and carry the image of God, we are not very good at it. And we, we are a marred representation, a fallen representation of that image. We use our speech to harm. We use our speech in all sorts of ways um, that are not beneficial to us and are not beneficial to God. And that is not in question. The question is, is, um, is, is, you know, I'm not questioning whether we should be using the image of God, whether we should be using free speech to actually carry the image of God appropriately. And I have no argument with the fact that we don't do that. However, if you take away the ability of speech from people who aren't in the church, who aren't in that association, that's a different thing. And I will freely admit that balancing Old Testament passages and comparing them to the church are difficult. There's Old Testament passages during the conquest that are hard to apply. Um, uh, take, you know, gathering sticks on the Sabbath and getting stoned is an example of those. I would just, I would just put out there that the, the conquest was not necessarily a normative example. Even later in the Old Testament, under the same laws, and, and of course, under the same God, God hasn't changed. In Jeremiah 29, 4 through 8, the, the, the rules have changed because the concepts lifted up, the situation is different, even God's um, purposes are a little different. In Jeremiah 29, 4 through 8, now they're no longer in the conquest, they're in exile, and they're living under people who worship foreign gods. In Jeremiah 29, 4 through 8, he says this, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city, right? The pagan city that you're in, where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will not, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So I think that's more an, of a normative situation to the church. I'm not saying the church doesn't have um, the desire and the ability um, and that it's not beneficial that, to teach us and to instruct us and restrain us to use our speech appropriately and in a, in a way that honors God and, and, lifts, and lifts God up and that is honoring to each other. So whether we have free speech and how well we use it are two different are, are two different things. And uh, the the limiting factors of the church on our speech, I think, are are a factor of our our associations that we appreciate associate. We don't apply those things to other people. And the church, we don't tell people who aren't who are who are not members of the church that they're not allowed to say certain things 
um, or if they take God's name in vain, we're not allowed to, um, you know, to cut their head off or something like that. Um, speech can be harmful. There's no, no question about that. So Proverbs doesn't, um, Proverbs is, is in kind of an example of that. Of course, speech is, is something that, that we should um, exercise cautiously, carefully, and in a God-fearing way. There's the, the, the fact that it's a powerful thing is why it's important that it's free. And I tried to argue that, 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 uh, that God values the power of our speech for good more than he values the limiting of it. Because when I look around the world, I see people that have the ability to use their speech in harmful ways. And the fact that we can choose to follow God and, and to use our speech um, in, a, in a way that, that, is, that shows our love toward God and a love toward each other, I think that choice, having that choice is what empowers us to be able to love God in a way um, that wouldn't be possible if we didn't have the ability not to. Um, so I think I, I think I can kind of agree with everything you said and the power of those things and the importance of those things and not feel that they they impact my my argument at all on where the image um, on, on what the image of God gives us as far. What's that time? Two minutes. Two minutes. OK. Um, and how it affects what we communicate usually as rights are actually responsibilities. And maybe that's a better way to put them because then that flows into your argument. Our free speech is a responsibility to have uh, loving speech and, and careful speech. Um, one last thing is I, I wanna put out there is, is a practical apologetic reason. I think we agree, uh, not necessarily me and you, but people in general agree that free speech and, and liberty and uh, the, some of the things I talked about and something that I think gets in, that free speech gets kind of bundled in with, with um, uh, as our civil rights is basically the basis for what our civil rights. If those don't come from the image of God, and I, and I freely admit that they're implications, I'm not finding a passage that has First Amendment, I'm drawing an implication about the image of God and about the commands of God in our human interactions. However, I would argue that it's the only implication that you could draw, um, that you can't, there's nothing else that you could account for. If you're an atheist and say, yes, we have inalienable rights, where would those come from? There's nothing besides the image of God to even think that there might be some kind of right that we have that's different from a monkey or a cow or a pigeon, right? Those, those animals do not have rights. We, bearing the image of God, do have the right to free speech and we can't infringe on it amongst each other, but it's just as much a responsibility, which kind of goes to your point, um, as it is a right. That time, Scott? You got eight seconds if you want to <laughs> do anything you want. Thank you. <laughs> All right, now that's time. Okay. All right, well, thank you, you, you so you much. Your thought if you had one, Steve, it's okay. No, 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 go ahead. We'll, we'll talk, we'll keep talking. All okay. Okay, Greg, are, are you ready? And I'm sorry, do you prefer Greg or Gregory, or does it not matter? Does not matter. I am okay. ready. <laughs> okay. Your time starts for eight minutes now. Got it. So, yes, I am unmuted. So I'm now going to rebut on some of the stuff you said, and I'm going to start with the 
the, 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 the kind of the, the thought that you were making there at the end, which I think um, is, uh, I think you're making an assumption um, without, and um, this is my assumption, without the basis of the data to confirm it. You said, and I'm trying to quote here, I'm paraphrasing loosely, God values the power of the good we can do with our speech more so than the limiting of our speech. I struggle with finding a scriptural or biblical um, um, backing for that concept. I, and I, I, I've studied this exhaustively for the last month almost since we spoke about this, have been searching for like all uses of the word speech, talk, bless, everything coming out of the mouth, et cetera, et cetera. The vast majority of them, and if I, I, oh, I was like, why is there a beeping going on? I thought that was you, Steve. It's my own timer. Um, no worries. <laughs> my timer was set incorrectly. Eight minutes is not up. Gregory, I'll give you an extra 10 seconds. That's cool. Thank you. Um, my own um, um, research on this shows that there's a vast um, proliferation of data in terms of the negative usage of speech, talk, um, words to say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the Bible, there's significantly more of it, more things limiting our speech than there are things saying it is free to speak. Like significantly, it's, it's in the, it's well above 50%, um, probably 70 or almost 80, I thought it was 76%. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I literally did searches and compiled it in Excel and I was doing the math on this. Like, so I, I, I'm struggling with reconciling God values the power of the good we can do with our speech more so than he values limiting. I would go the other extreme on that and say God values the, val the, the good we can do by limiting our speech more so than the good we can do with um, by, by, by speaking freely. Uh, and my basis on that is the amount of times there are terms in the Bible that limit what we can say in terms of blasphemy, lying, bearing false witness, do, do not curse your, those who hate you, bless those, et cetera, et cetera. All of those are limitations on our speech. Um, you picked on me, I'm using that word, it's too strong, but you know what I mean, uh, on using um, stuff from the conquest um, to demonstrate that, you know, limitations on speech are, you know, very strong in the Bible. But you used um, Torah laws um, on kidnapping from Leviticus um, and saying they were not allowed, et cetera, et cetera, to, you know, prove that we are the image of God. Um, I think the image of God thing, I think you're headed in the right direction but you know again just candidly speaking i think you missed the mark there i don't think the image of god is tied it, it seems to me like you're saying the image of god is tied to us as christians being able to represent god well because you, you 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 said you made statements like you know it's a it's a tarnished image due to the fall etc cetera, etc cetera. so my question on that would be and you can answer this in i guess in the re-rebuttal or whatever um, if free speech is due to the image of God and we have to represent God to the world, are you saying that Christians convey the image of God more so than non-Christians? Because I would say that is verifiably and provably wrong in the Bible, but I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. So boils down to um, 
I don't think the image of God methodology or thought process can be used to justify us having free speech, even though free speech is good. I think the image of God methodology more represents what Jesus did. And in Jesus's own ministry, and I'll give two examples without sharing screen. Um, I will give it if I can find it. Boom. Here's the, nope, that's not the one I want. I want this one. Yes. Um, Luke 13, 3. Now there were some present on that occasion who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he, Jesus, answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Now, the point of this example is they were trying to lure Jesus to speak and take sides, even in the case here where what Pilate had done, mixing um, blood with their sacrifices, was wrong. Jesus abstained from taking sides, and he said, the onus is not on us determining whose side it should have been and then speaking it out. The onus, I am telling you, is you need to repent. In other words, put, turn the finger back on yourself. And rather than being so wound up with my ability to have free speech, be more concerned with my ability to analyze myself and put myself in right relationship with the church, et cetera, et cetera, so that even my blind spots, you know, brothers can call me out on and say, Greg, there's a, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing this splinter in my eye, but there's a log in your eye. That's what Jesus is pointing us to. Very similar to which I'm not going to get deep into because it's more well-known, um, you know, when they try to trap Jesus in the whole tax thing. Should we pay taxes? Yes or no? Well, like Jesus could have answered and, you know, picked a side on it. He very purposefully avoided picking a side because two minutes. he understood what they were trying to do is use his words against them. So I, I see the onus in scripture on us using limitation of our words significantly more than on us, you know, just being free to be able to speak. I'm good. Okay, you still have a minute 30. Do you want to wait for it to time out if you have any oh. more to, to say? No. Okay. Can respond okay. if he feels fit. Well, before you do, um, I want to um, offer, do, do we want to take questions? I feel like a cross-examination is more important at this moment. Do you guys want to have some time where you can just go back and forth? I'm fine with whichever. To be okay. very candid, and I'll let Steve answer, I think we're landing very close to agreeing with each other, um, even though the words might not sound that way. And, and quite frankly, yeah. I like that. I yeah, like that cool. we are able as two Christian brothers to disagree so amicably that um, you know, it doesn't come across like we're pulling each other's eyes out of its sockets. <laughs> yeah, I think it needs to be more of that just universally. Okay, so what we're going to do is this. I'll, I'm actually going to request that you guys unmute, and then um, we'll do maybe 15 minutes of like a, like a kind of a pseudo cross-examination where you guys can just uh, answer questions back and forth. And then I am requesting that if you guys in the audience want to submit questions, we can then move on to that portion. Um, how's 10, 15 minutes for you guys? It's, uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll need that or not, but I wouldn't mind doing a quick rebuttal. Um, and yeah. Interested. Well, uh, let's go ahead. Just untimed. Um, just go ahead. Ask the questions okay. you need. And if it's going too long, I, I'll just keep yeah. notes of who's talked the most. Okay. Um, okay. Go ahead. So, yeah, what my what my 
my statement over free will, what God values over another thing, um, again, isn't really contrary to what, to what you're saying. What I was saying is that God values, and I don't have a verse that says this, it's an implication, that God values free will more than he values the absence of sin. And I feel safe saying that because I look at the world and I see free will and sin. And I know God had power to create a world where there was no free will and there was no sin. So it, it seems apparent to me that God preferred to give us choices and to have our love for him be a result of the choice to be able to do that, even though many would use their free will not to do that. So I wasn't specifically addressing speech. I was just saying free will in general, which includes our speech. Um, I agree there's lots of places where God limits our speech. I don't, I don't know that I would consider it a, um, you know, a violation of my civil rights if God, if God wants to limit my speech. And I think that, 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 that you should say this or you should not say that isn't really limiting our ability to have free speech. It's pointing us in the direction of, of what is the best way to use it. If, if, if there's a, you know, if it's put in an if, if you say the right thing, that implies you have the ability to say the wrong thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't need any limitations given to us or communicated to us. We would just be told you only have the ability to do this. But you don't. You have the ability to use your free speech for things that are not honoring to God and that are sinful and that are harmful. And I'm not, God's not condoning those things. And I'm not suggesting he's condoning those things. And I'm certainly not condoning those things. I'm just saying that it appears to me that those things are available to us. Um, and that, that as far as the image of God, I'm, I'm saying all people carry the image of God. Now, Christians are capable because of the spirit of God of, of carrying a more complete and a less marred image of God as much as we exemplify Christ or that God um, sees us through through the lens of, of Christ's death that we... we um, but we still have a marred image of God. I don't think our nature, our identity as humans um, is different in that sense. We all have the, the Christian or not carry the image of God as marred right. as it is. Can I, can I push you push back on that a little bit, Steve? Sure. The old marred image of God thing. If the image was marred, um, why, did, why was the first thing that what God did immediately after the fall in Eden why was the first thing that he did to reiterate the initial calling that he had before the image was marred? You'd think if the image was marred, he'd be aware that, okay, you can't carry out my initial, you know, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth anymore. So I'm gonna have to dumb it down for you. So I, I'm not buying that whole, the image was marred um, narrative. Like Cain, who, you know, God, Yahweh said, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Cain was, had the full image of God. Like we have no indication in the Bible that Cain had a marred or lesser or flawed image of God or anything along those lines. As far forward as, and I think you even quoted it, Genesis 9 or, or yeah, before the flood. So Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing that. And, you know, Adam bore Seth. This is long after the fall. And Seth was made in God's image. And God even said, don't kill anyone because all of those people are in my image. All of them, even the sinful ones. So I, I think you're 
your I don't agree with you on that one there on the, your interpretation of the image there, but um, I just wanted I don't know if you can rebut that or whatever. Yeah, well, we might it might be a dis, might be a um, the way we're communicating it. I, I think as far as identity and our initial design, what our role is, we all carry the image of God. When I say it's marred, it's just sin entered and we don't do it well. So I don't know how, I mean, the fall happened, right? And so something happened, whether it happened to the image of God or it happened to our ability to, um, uh, to, uh, to properly express the image of God or convey the responsibilities of the image of God. Um, maybe there's different ways we're communicating, but something happened the fall, right, that involved sin. I disagree. No. The fall narrative, I believe you're talking about Genesis, you know, three. Yeah. The word sin doesn't appear there at all. Like literally, the first place sin appears in the Bible is with Cain, Genesis chapter four or five. I don't remember exactly where it is, but well post the fall. What happened in Eden was not sin. It was a missing of the mark. But that is like the Bible doesn't paint sin as that. We do in our 21st century flawed English translations of the Hebrew word, but like Genesis 1, 2, 3 does not have the word or a term for sin anywhere in it. Okay. I, I well, don't agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we, it would be kind of straying out of uh, orthodoxy a little bit there to, to suggest that, that Adam's fall wasn't related to sin. Um, well, I'm, thinking of the mark, which... I'm actually quoting orthodox um, um, interpretation of that. And I'm being very specific, like mm -hmm. old orthodox. I don't mean like, you know, Billy Graham orthodox. And I lived in Charlotte for most of my life in the US. Like I love Billy Graham, but I mean like old, old, you know, like Athanasius mm -hmm. and go back older than that. And that's the way they interpreted it. In the fall, it brought mortality other things later on brought sin, like the Cain incident, like, you know, Genesis 6-4 incident. But, you know, that's that's not related to freedom of speech. That's just a different take on it. And I don't think I'm... Okay. Well, Paul talks about death and sin coming through Adam. So, um, what's that? Exactly. Death and sin. Not sin. Death okay. and sin. It was about mortality. Well, and sin, right? I mean... It's death and sin. Maybe that'll be our next debate. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. That's not the speech thing. Um, if I do, you, you were, were you going to say something, Scott? Yeah, I was going to say yeah. That's kind of getting off topic there. Although that does sound awesome. Definitely put that in the the um, the hopper DMZ thing. But we actually do have a question. Unless you guys want to return to what you were talking about, maybe like 20, not 22 minutes ago. Um, otherwise, we have Chris Samuel has a question. Okay, I'm ready for, I'm ready if you're ready, Greg. Yes, I'm ready for questions as well. Okay. Hey, this was pretty good, man. I enjoyed this. Um, question, so my question is uh, for both of you, um, because you both are kind of representing different positions, um, is there a um, empire or kingdom that was represented within the Bible that you think, um, would have um, that, that had like uh, a, a principle about free speech. Okay, it, does that make sense? 
it I don't know it does the question make sense I don't know where you're going it's with it broad it's pretty broad because it's like there's a bunch of this, you know Babylon Syria there's like tons of different little kingdoms and stuff in uh, that are referenced you know at various times that had contact points with Israel or in the New Testament you know you got the Roman Empire and I was just curious like um like with you with you guys uh different pers- uh, positions you know if you if if you are aware of any of those empires uh that that might have um kind of be that would kind of be a um a more broader historical contextual um milieu that you can appeal to to say hey this is kind of this was kind of common within this or 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 you might think that these all of these ethics are unique to christians because in a sense christianity or yahwehism in the old testament is kind of a unique ethic uh, uh, part of its kind of thing is a polemic against the ethics of other empires anyway Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think, I don't, th- you know, I think every, like, my understanding is when Abraham left Mesopotamia, they had, and it would be a surprise to, to, to me, it was, it'd probably be a surprise to most people, they had a level of, of, of kind of a civil uh, rights, you know, that would, uh, concept that would be a kind of a surprise to us, I think. I think every culture, um, you know, has flaws, and, and they still had slavery and and, and things like that. Um, I I think you know I think the First Amendment is 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 the kind of the um, best expression of. And again, I'm not saying the First Amendment is a direct quote from the from you know application of the Old Testament. I think if you derive principles from the Old Testament and from the New Testament, I think the First Amendment is a is a good representation of that um you know i don't it, there's the contexts are so are so different to be able to say that that well maybe you know old testament israel was the best example of that but the context is so different it's hard to see how that would play out in other cultures so i don't know if that answered your question or not i, I can give another it's not really completely other perspective, but your, your direct question, Chris, was, are there other nations represented? I am not super familiar with Mesopotamian culture, so I can't, you know, rebut or disagree with what Steve said. I'm very comfortable believing, taking his word for it. Um, I will say in the New Testament, though, um, and I'm, I'm I'll, I'll, let me see if I can, yeah, I, I got it. Acts 14, um, around verse 22, um, the disciples are, you know, they've met and they're about to go out on missions trips with Paul, et cetera, et cetera, 1423. That's what I was looking for. And when they had appointed elders for them in the various churches with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the protection. Now, that sounds like, you know, just, you know, they were prayed and they fasted and then they appointed elders. However, the word there for appointed is Greek word Holy crap, I'm not going to try to pronounce this, but I have to. Kiro toneo. Um, and that word verbatim means to vote by the stretching out of the hand, as is done in the Athenian ecclesia. So ecclesia is where we get the word church from. It was actually a Greek legislative branch. And we see Paul using legislative terms from Athenian government 
to discuss how things were appointed in the church. And why do I get into that detail? Because that is a pointer to where Paul is saying the sovereignty that they have given the people, the voice of the people is notable and we're emulating it in the church. That's what Acts 14, 23, if I remember correct. Um, yes, 14, 23, that's what it's pointing to. It was not a quote, a reference out of, you know, the thin, the clear blue sky. Paul was pointing to, and Luke, sorry, was pointing to, this is the orderly way they did it because they valued the voice of the people. So I would say, you know, Greek culture, Greek legislative culture was very strong on, um, you know, representing, um, you know, the voice of the people. And this is one of these many points that I stumbled up across, Steve, when we spoke earlier in the week and I said, dude, I could argue your argument for you. So this is one I kind of had in the chamber. I mm -hmm. wouldn't have brought it up. I think you and Chris figured out a way to make me bring it up. So well done, both of you. <laughs> That was a deep cut, Greg. And who was that? Troy that that knew the word? It had to be Troy, because Troy, that's like right up his alley. <laughs> but yeah, um, someone, someone knew it. <laughs> somebody knew it. I was like, wow. Troy could have probably pronounced it better than I could have. I need you know my app to tell me, Greg, this is how you pronounce it, dum-dum, because I'm not fluent in Greek or Hebrew, but I know how to use the tools somewhat. <laughs> like you had that little um helper <laughs> one little legal in the debate i don't know but no i'm just a follow up or or you know kind of it's not really a question uh it was more of a kind of a question challenge to steve's response like in in my mind john uh, a lot of um the the philosophy that grounds you know the uh, our constitution uh, stems from the uh, british philosopher john locke in his um ideology of equality the common man having equality with the king I wonder if it was more this, um, uh, if, it, if, if it was more this sense of equality with the king and this sense of um, um, a, res a response um, and to the problems that they were facing, that, that the uh, colonies uh, were facing in, in as they were considering liberation of themselves. I wonder if that was more of an of a, um, influencer of this notion of freedom of speech than actually some uh, idea that they deducted from the Bible. Uh, what do you what do you think of that? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know if you can separate. So, how much of what we have comes from like Enlightenment philosophy, and how much comes from Judeo Christian faith? And I don't know how to separate them because I I mean, the, the the idea of the image of God was was something in in ancient Near East culture. The king was the image of God, right? And Genesis 1 is, is a polemic against that. No, it's not the king. It's man and woman have the image of God. So it's the exact same idea. So, I mean, Enlightenment philosophy can't even be, it was built on Judeo-Christian faith. And perhaps, you know, it's sitting on it and it's going to fall right off of it. But I don't think that was the case, you know, as flawed as things were, um, you know, I, I still, I don't think you can separate. I can't separate. Maybe some people can say they got this. And it's some of those guys were deists, so uh, you know I don't think John I don't think John Locke was a Christian if I if I'm uh, if I'm correct. So, but he couldn't separate. You know, I, it doesn't mean he wasn't getting a lot of his idea of biblical concepts. If so, I if if I may, uh, this is you're sending me down a super slippery slope, Steve. 
So I'm going to actively try to censor some of my thoughts and I'm going to drill down only on the freedom of speech part. Self-censoring is okay. I'm not... <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely self-censoring myself here because I don't want anyone on this call coming after me, um, including Baby Yoda's. I see like five Baby Yoda icons in the thing. Baby Yoda's a demon, but that's a different conversation anyway. Um, the framers of the First Amendment um, Bill of Rights in general I would argue that the vast majority of the stuff that was written there did not come from anything near the Bible. Like, I just can't reconcile some of the things they bundled in there that are vehemently anti-Bible that were established rights that had to be undone later on with the Bible. In the case of freedom of speech explicitly, I can make a much stronger case that freedom of speech was derived from the concept of the Hobbes' Leviathan, um, where, and that was written in, I actually have to go and check, in 1588, uh, and it, it states in Leviathan, it's the name of the book, Hobbes argues that the absolute power of the sovereignty was ultimately justified by the consent of the governed. So that point, that's where, that's where their heads were at. They read that, was well known in that time, and that made sense. And they figured the way we can make sure that no, that our, our power as a people is never stifled again is to give our people the right to be able to resist the king and resist you know, the president and resist the Congress, et cetera, et cetera. I don't believe this came any, like we know that didn't come from the Bible, but the concept of freedom of speech was a direct knee-jerk if not well thought out reaction to limitations being placed on humans by the throne in England specifically and potentially in France as well. Not like, I don't, I don't think Bible was anywhere in sight because they, they could not have reconciled, well, we're gonna get this part from the Bible, but these other 10 parts over here, they're vehemently anti-Bible, it's all good. Like, I, I can't reconcile that. And that's still to say, freedom of speech is still a good thing, even though it didn't come from the Bible. Like, I, I think it's a good thing to have. Just, I, I don't think it was based on anything biblical in that time period at all. Um, if no one else has, does anyone else have a question? Because if not, I'm just going to ask another question. Yeah, I'm not seeing any, Chris, so go for it. Okay. So, um, yeah, okay. So in our, in our uh, modern climate, you know, there's lots of Christians who are uh, associating, both liberal and conservative, who are um, who see free speech as, um, as um, through the lens of their, of their political values. Um, uh, you know, whether it's cancel culture, you know, in, you know, limiting the things that you can say, or whether it's, um, you know, uh, freedom of, whether it's this sense that unfettered uh, freedom is the best type of freedom or very, 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 very limited freedom is the best type of freedom. So yeah, um, in light of those two kind of, you know, polarizing uh, outer limits of, of, of freedom of speech, where do you think that, um, like, what are some type, give me some examples of things that you think that the church can have um, a positive influence on uh, regarding uh, free speech in, in America. You want to go, Greg? You want me to go? All yours, Steve. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think understanding civil rights and where they come from is a great start. 
I don't think the church really talks about civil rights. And by, by civil rights, I'm talking about the Bill of Rights applied equally, um, you know, without, without partiality and where those comes from. That has a, poly, you know, if there is there such thing as an animal right? Because you, you, there can't be such thing as that outside of the Christian God. The concept is totally illogical. If we're just a progression of biological uh, changes and mutations, then this idea of rights is is nonsense. So, like, I, I think we're separate. I think we've separated ourselves from whatever aspects of of the foundation of the country do derive. You know, knowing which ones derive from biblical concepts and hang on to those. I believe the First Amendment is an example of that um, because I believe it derives from the image of God. And because I, I don't think you, if you thought about it, could you come up with, with uh, a principle that is a better uh, application of the Old Testament to our culture? Um, so I, I'm, I'm straying a little bit from your, but I, I think understanding civil rights, where they come from and, and civics in general is, is an area that the church could be more, uh, um, active in and more uh, have a better understanding. I, all I can do on this is violently agree with Steve. Um, and I'll just tag it with a scripture just to kind of drive the point home that Steve and I agree here. Um, Psalms 82, um, this is God. And I'll just read the first one. God stands in the divine assembly. He administers judgment in the midst of the God. So this is God in the divine assembly of, you know, sons of God administering judgment. Judge on behalf of the helpless and the orphan. How long will you judge unjustly and show favoritism to the wicked? You should provide justice to the afflicted and the poor, rescue the helpless and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Like that is God saying, this is what you guys should have been doing. And he's judging them for not doing that. So like, if, if we as imagers of God can't grasp that much, We've, you know, we, that's, I'm more concerned with that than I am, you know, us having the freedom of speech. We're going to use freedom of speech to defend that. I'm like, Steve and I are in lockstep agreement. Uh, I just want to say real quick that the social justice debate is until next month. <laughs> I do uh, have a question. All right, go for it, MJ. Yeah, my question is for Steve. Uh, depending on how you answer the first, I have a, a quick follow up. So would you, uh, would you say that Christians uh, have limitations on their speech? Yes or no? Um, from God? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. You made a few associations. So I guess my question is, from, from whence does this secular sacred dichotomy uh, come where Christians have these limitations, but anybody in the world does not. When the Bible clearly teaches that, you know, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, and all people are image bearers. So, whence does this secular sacred dichotomy come where there is a, a you know, a set of rules for Christians, and then there is uh, these Western idealized concepts for other people when God commands men everywhere to repent. 
and, and believe the gospel, basically. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it's the, the role of the Christian to the world um, to enact those things, right? So we, we, can't, we can't tell the king what to do, um, but we can sure tell him what he should do. So I, I just think it's just that the, the church doesn't have authority over, over the world. The church can convict the world of sin. The church can preach Christ to the world, um, but it can't, it can't force people outside of the church to do what they should do or to not do what they shouldn't do, right? I mean, Paul, Paul lived in a world where the, the emperor thought he was a god and they imprisoned people and they, they did all sorts of things. And Paul's response was to preach the gospel. Yeah, could I offer just a little bit of pushback? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 get, a little the, too. I get the whole just <laughs> preach the gospel, but I, I believe that Jesus said that you are the sight and law, uh, and salt and light, uh, and that we should disciple all the nations, and that would even include King Agrippa and uh, emperors and whoever. They should also be disciple too. Uh, you know, we should pray for kings and rulers and. And all, as James White would say, all kinds of people because God desires men everywhere to be saved. And all men should believe the gospel. No, we don't. I, you know, I would agree with you that we can't force them based on the sword. What we do as ambassadors of Christ, we do. Wouldn't you agree that we do try to compel men everywhere to believe the gospel? Yeah, isn't that what I said? That's what Paul did. He preached the gospel. The great, the great commission is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. He's in this order, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So discipling for you is just merely preaching. Well, discipling, it requires a disciple, right? If King Agrippa is not a disciple, then you're not going to baptize him and you're not going to teach him because he's not going to listen and you don't have any authority to make him listen. I mean, it, that, so that's just merely, you know, in, in a reductionistic fashion, preaching. The Great Commission? Yeah, the, the, the discipleship process, just preaching. No, the process is making disciples, right, which, which involves baptizing, right? Mm -hmm. teaching to them to observe all that they have all that he has commanded them okay right that's what making disciples is you, if someone isn't going to get baptized then they're not going to be a disciple yeah I, I guess i would just make a distinction between preaching a gospel message and discipleship but i got you i appreciate you okay well thanks for the question i hope i and <laughs> i appreciate it if, if i may i don't know i i i'll call it ad hopefully clarity to MJ um, and, and Steve on this. Um, I think there's a, some nuance that, that we, we skated around a little bit with regards to authority specifically. So the, the whole Kings and Agrippa, et cetera, et cetera, um, paradigm or parameter. Uh, and I'm referring to 1 Peter 2.13, be subject to every human institution for the Lord's sake, whether to a king or as a supreme, or to governors as those he, God, commissions to punish wrongdoers and praise those who do good, et cetera, et cetera, for God wants you to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The context of this is Peter is telling 
the churches in Asia Minor be subject to every human institution, knowing that the, the emperor of Rome in that time period was oppressing the Christian church heavily. Happened so that this same emperor that was emperor while Peter wrote this and sent this out was the same emperor that ended up martyring Peter. Peter was not being facetious or unaware when he was telling them, you make disciples by honoring and standing up to and in a respectful manner, all those human institutions, even when those human institutions are wrong, in doing that is how you end up creating disciples. You might not make a disciple of you know, the Caesar, but the people looking on the sidelines, you're probably going to get mass conversions in there. And we see that in the Desert Fathers immediately after the first century. Um, you see people getting martyred like crazy. And you, you can read the stories of probably grab a book behind me. And, and like, there's tons of stories of people getting dragged out of church, getting down, brought the martyr. And um, you can re reject, reject Christ and you'll be okay. Nope, we're not rejecting Christ. Why? Because they grasped this. And that's, they, they were less, con and I'm going back to freedom of speech. They were less concerned with, I have freedom of speech to defend myself here. And they were more concerned with, I'm going to subject myself to this, even though you're wrong. A, because I know this life is not it for me. And B, I want all those that are looking at me to see we're willing to put our necks on the line, literally to die for this gospel. That's how we make disciples. That's a nuance that I think in our Western society today, we've, we've missed and, and drifted away from I want to say a little bit, but I really am thinking a whole heck of a lot um, because we're more concerned with, you know, no, we got to, you know, stand up for what's right. And no, sometimes you got to, you, you take the L. Like, if that's going to make a disciple, that's, that's how we make disciples. That's how the first century church did it. I, I kind of see that as an example of exercise, like, even though you're told to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, that human institution does not have the authority to make you subject in, in, in your obedience to God. And to me, that's, a, that's an example of exercising free speech um, that the government does not have the ability to, uh, you know, maybe we're just using different words to say the same thing, because I'm seeing the same thing as you. And then you're, but I'm seeing it as an example of the, exercising the responsibility of free speech speech that cannot be restrained by a human institution um i know yeah we, we're in the question time i i would agree with that okay I, I and i would agree with what gregory said here here's my whole thing uh, i believe that we do have the freedom to say what we want to say but i also believe that what Jesus said about a wise king sitting down, counting up the costs, uh, really planning and thinking before he goes to war. I, I believe that we all, we, you know, we also have uh, that responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, pick and choose what, basically pick and choose your battles. Um, we can say what we want to say, but you know, I mean, in China, that might cost you your life in, in, in Arabia. That might cost you in uh, North Korea. That might cost you, but you have the freedom to do it. You know, 
Yeah. Agree. Once again, I think we agree, Steve. <laughs> it's a weird debate. <laughs> if, uh, if, if does anyone else have any comments or questions? If not, we only got about 30 minutes left in the scheduled time. What we could do is uh, begin to wrap up if either uh, Greg or Steve has any um, closing comments they wanna make and then uh, the announcement for next month's scheduled meeting. Uh, so yeah, I think we should uh, begin to wrap up. I think up. we have a, another question from Philip actually. Oh, oh Phil. It Mr. says, Fox. Philip, do you wanna say it or would you, would you rather I read it? I think I'll, I'll read it and I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll Go yeah. with, uh, He's coming oh, perfect. Cool. Cool. Yeah. No, yeah. <clears throat> no, I just, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe this wouldn't be necessarily a, a question. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe just an addition, but I, I think sometimes we, we sort of equate uh, this idea of freedom with, with protection and, you know, do we, when we're talking about this, and I came in totally late, so forgive me if you guys already covered some of this. But does our freedom, quote, you know, quote unquote freedom, uh, does that necessarily translate into protection? Uh, and is that sort of the, what the debate in, it, in essence is? Because, I mean, we have God given freedoms. Uh, and, and like, like we said, whether the institution agrees or not with, with our speech or the things that we say or things that our actions, uh, does that, is there a delineation between, between this idea of freedom and protection when it comes to our responsibility as Christians? what's the boundaries of our our freedom versus the 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 our, our the the things that are protected i guess i, I don't, i'm i'm sorry i'm having trouble articulating this question but but um the so i guess <clears throat> in a nutshell um where do we draw the line between the reverence for the authorities and our essential uh, freedoms in Christ, if you will. Uh, is, there, is there a delineation between what the kingdom says is okay for us to do, act, say, and where do we draw that line as, as Christian people? Is it just simply a moral thing? Is it, uh, is it you know, because we all would agree that it's uh it we draw the line with scripture of course but um is is there a line basically i guess is, is sort of what i'm saying and then uh that's where i get the 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 freedom equate protection because i think sometimes we you know we look at the freedom of speech particularly in our current context um and i know i'm i'm sort of rambling at this point but uh <clears throat> but um the the freedom that we are supposed to have is supposed to be protected, but now we're finding that everything has flipped. The freedoms that were once freedoms are now restrictions. 
depending upon, depending upon the culture that that is dominant. Um, so I guess, um, like I said, I'm sorry I was I was late and and sorry for rambling. So no, you're good. Um, is that to anyone specific you want? No, just just thoughts. I mean, a, a just sort of just curiosity where where everyone's at. And... Well, I can I can take a shot. I think um, of what I think you're getting at and see um, see see if this is a, a helpful at all. So does it equate to protection? Um, so I, I think I think in a way, if I understand your your comment, I I see the um, like the First Amendment as an example of of an expression of the freedom of speech is exactly that. It's a protection. It's it's only a constraint for the government, right? There's this. It, it's not saying that the constraints that I have through my associations or through interfering with other people's rights don't still exist, but the government can't constrain my uh, First Amendment rights. So in that sense, I think um, it's a protection. Um, and I agree, I, I think I agree with what you're saying about things being flipped. Um, and I think that happened because we see these rights as freestanding and we don't um, and even as Christians, we don't associate them with the underlying responsibility. The freedom of speech is, is, is a license to, to uh, for the Great Commission. It's a license to preach the gospel. It's a license to, to, um, to, to talk about justice and to bring justice uh, amongst ourselves and in, in the world. Um, it's a responsibility. And basically, I think the constraint is that the government can't get in the way and keep you from exercising that responsibility. So that that was what I, I, I don't know if that's what you were getting at or if uh, Gregory, Gregory has a different uh, idea of what you're asking, but that's, that was my initial thought. I think we are gonna probably land on the same place there again, Steve. Um, the only kind of direct thing I'll say to um, Phil Fox who, who, who you know had the thoughts was, I think the own and Steve and I might differ on this slightly. I think the onus is on us adhering to biblical orthodoxy and orthopraxy, point blank. Period. Um, secondly, we have a right to free speech, um, but that doesn't supersede. We have to obey what the Bible says, and the right to, or the requirement by the Bible, like we just read in first Peter, to um, submit to um, earthly authorities also does not supersede, hey, you gotta obey God. So if an earthly authority says, um, I need you to worship another God, we're not required to follow that law. It's quite the opposite. We're required to disobey that law, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednach, and Abed, you know what I mean, Daniel's story being one example of that. So I, I kind of think that's where the delineation is. Yep, we adhere to Bible first foremost, worship God, none other above him. We adhere to, you know, the, the earthly systems until the earthly systems tell us to defeat point one, and then you go back to C point one. So I, that's the way I would delineate it. And based on where the discussion went tonight, 
this Steve and I differ on, I think in the most cases, the Bible gives examples of where to limit speech. You know, don't curse your enemies, you know, bless those who hate you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Steve is slightly the other side of that, but point blank period, both of us think it is a, a, a good thing to have freedom of speech. I hope I didn't misrepresent you there, Steve. No. Okay, well, do we have any other questions? Phil, I think you a lot for that. I think it's good that we have clear definitions of things. Or comments. And then I think we have one from Keith here, or maybe it's not really so much a question, just a comment. Keith, would you like me to read it out loud for you? For anyone who's missing the comment section. Go ahead. I think um, I can't hear Keith here. I see him talking. Oh, okay. Yeah, Keith, we can't hear you, although you are unmuted. <laughs> no, I can't hear you, but I can see you talking. <laughs> You want to read it, Scott? Would you like me to read it, Keith, in the meantime? Maybe thumbs up if you want me to just do that, and then we can. Okay, perfect. I'll read it. All right. So it says, Keith said that uh, our free speech is within God's directive. We are free to speak under God as long as it edifies the church and spreads the gospel. And uh, I guess I'll leave that up to you guys if you guys want to comment back. I agree. I, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. With it's not so much a question, but I thought that might be a cool topic. And as a Christian, that's a constraint, right? That as long as it edifies the church, that that's a constraint that we're putting ourselves under, right? It doesn't mean you still don't have the ability to do something different, but I'm constraining myself as a follower of Christ. Lord willing. Now, just to uh, kind of move things forward, um, I don't know if anyone else has any other questions. We can give maybe someone a minute or two if they're trying to articulate it. Now, I'm not going to lie, and this can help with other uh, DMZ debates. I've had a ton of questions, but I feel like as a moderator, I'm not supposed to ask. <laughs> you as ask the moderator, questions. as the son of one of the contestants? <laughs> well, both. I thought that too. I was like, man. As I got, the son, I got... he has a very difficult yeah. question for you, Greg. <laughs> I thought the entire time I was like, man, I got like four things I wrote down, but I'm like, it, it, it's not fair. It's just not fair if I. Just for the record, I would have been okay with it. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I mean, I guess if no one has any, so I guess I'll step down as the moderator. Chris will be the moderator now. Um, so I guess maybe it's more of a comment than it is a, uh, um, a question. And this is, I guess this is for Greg. <laughs> um and you know, and I know you're gonna agree too, but I think of like the martyrs, you know, like you talk like the Romans dragging Christians out of church because of what they're saying. You know, and I look at that, I'm like, I'm like, freedom of speech is like a um a, an, an innovation on our part with you know, like what how we need to treat people. I don't know if Greg stepped away or okay, perfect. He's back. So like like a response to governments and kings killing people is freedom of speech. 
Okay, I want to see what you got, but I think you already know what I'm going to ask then. So I feel like um, going to like an inalienable thing. I remember my dad talked about that timeline. You know, you have your future, you have your past, you have your present. Like freedom of speech in a way is like, I feel like defending um, kind of like what Keith is saying, a directive of God is if you're allowing people to speak, it's kind of like not stealing from them. You're not stealing their words. It would be uh, uh, allowing freedom of speech in a, I guess in a free society or in any society is, is a moral good thing in a way, like a commandment. I could be wrong, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a question or a comment that I have, but I didn't write it completely out because I was focusing on time. But uh, um, what, what would you have to say about, about that, Greg, if, um, if any of that actually made sense? Like if Keith is calling it a directive, I kind of see that like, like having freedom of speech is in, in a way obedience to God. Yeah, I think that's stretching. Um, I think that's a massive stretch. I do not agree sure. with that. I do not think freedom of speech, uh, like the way you just phrased it, I, I do not think having freedom of speech can be seen as a directive from God. Um, okay. I think adhering to the Bible adhering to you know orthodoxy is the directive from god sometimes that might involve defending yourself and speaking um you know to defend yourself or whatever have you very often it will involve not answering when potentially saying something might have even gotten you out of trouble okay but okay. in the interest of representing christ better like Perfect example, Jesus, Pontius Pilate. Pontius asked Jesus a question point blank period. Like, who do you, is this true what they're saying about you? Because Pontius Pilate, the governor presiding over the court case against Jesus, saw that the witnesses that they brought were conflicting with each other. So he was skeptical. He was like, this is a setup. Jesus, all he had to say was, what they're saying about me is not true. Because they were, it wasn't just about, are you king of the Jews? Because that, the answer was yes. But Pontius Pilate didn't care about that. Pontius Pilate was concerned about, are you insurrecting the people against the Romans? And Jesus was not doing that. Like right, he was right. not there to set them free from the Romans. So all he had to do was say, no, Pilate, I am here for a completely different purpose. I'm here to beat death, hell, and the grave. The Romans are incidental to me. <laughs> and Pilate would have said, oh, then this is a Jewish problem. Get to step in and go. Jesus opted to not defend himself. And it cost him his life. Why? Because he had a bigger mission. And he remained focused on the mission. And we are supposed to emulate that. So there are going to be times where us genuinely speaking the truth, even if it's the truth to defend ourselves, sometimes we're going to have to take a step back in honor of whatever mission God has us there for. And I was looking for one of the stories of one of the saints that was um, uh, martyred. I can't put my hands on it right now. If there's another right. question, I'm sure I will find it. That's the book yeah. I was looking for. But there's a case where similar in the first century, one of the desert fathers, can't remember his name right now, and he was you know, tried and they said, dude, <laughs> denounce this and they were, they were they were accusing of something that wasn't true and it had nothing to do with 
he was unpopular because he fought against a heresy within the church. So the church leadership sought to have him set up so that the government structure could mark, kill him. He could have defended himself and said no. And his famous last words were, I'm going to be with my father. And they were like, dude, defenders, nope, I'm going to be with my father. And he even went so far as to pay in gold coins the executioner who was about <laughs> to chop his head off. Like it was absurd. Like people are like, why are you paying him? Because this man is worth his wage as well. It's not his fault that this is his job. Here's some gold coin. Go ahead. That is epic. Off, I'm not going to lie. That is epic. <laughs> I, I can't put my hands on it right yeah. now, but I, I'll, no, for I'll sure. email it to you because I have your email address. Well, that's really useful. And again, for the record, I'm not exactly saying that freedom of speech is obedience to God, but in the same sense as like, if I'm viewing kind of like as an inalienable thing where like, like possessions, then maybe like the freedom of speech in the sense is like a possession, but I don't know, dad, do you want to maybe back that up? If that is going with that argument at all? Um, yeah, I, I, does that make I, sense what I'm saying too? Yeah. I kind of like the way Keith, I, I, I think I agree with you. I like the way Keith said it where our freedom of speech is, it's not just a right you sit on. It's like you have the image of God, which includes the responsibility to, to like, as far as the Great Commission, to teach everything. It's not just about preaching, you know, the, the Romans road. It's everything that Jesus taught. And if I go on YouTube and I want to talk about Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Timothy 2, 1 or 2 about homosexuality, and they say, no, you can't do that. That's, that's part of what Jesus thought. And, I'm, and, and when I'm kicked out, because I can't exercise the image of God, I can't exercise what needs to be done because someone considers it something other than that. It's considered hate speech and things are flipped. And I don't know if that's what uh, Philip was saying, but things are flipped on you. All I can do at that point is, is kick the dust off my shoes and, and, and walk away. It's not just about, you know, hey, once you tell me I can't be a Christian, it's when I can't exercise everything that our identity is. I mean, that's our that's core to our identity, the fact that we're male and female. And so that's why I'm here and not on YouTube, because I this channel would get shut down if we said that. I'm not going to just skip those passages because of free speech, because that's the responsibility I have to, to, to teach everything that Jesus taught us. Can you hear me now? And we, yeah. we agree there. Yeah. yeah, we can hear you, Keith. And I agree with you there, Steve. Real quick, uh, while I hear about freedom of speech, I also think about the fact that number one, we as a people, we we take everything that we are given like that as it is a law, number one. But you look at the prophets of the old time, what do they do? They could speak free on many, many topics, but they only did what God directed them to do without questioning God. So the question is then, do we truly have freedom of speech or are we a vessel whose speech is guided by the Lord himself? Yeah, I, 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 I go for option two and, and we're slaves to to Christ. And I don't want, I want that to be based on conscience and, and the Bible. And I don't want other entities, whether it's organizations or government, governors, governments, 
interfering with that. So um, the freedom of speech is, is just the freedom to, to constrain myself to, the, to what uh, Christ would have us do, and it, whether it's the Great Commission or, or teaching anything in the Bible. So I think I'm agreeing with your second, I'm picking your second option. I, if, it, if it's helpful, um, Scott, I found the reference I was looking for. Um, the saint's name is um, Saint um, Cyprium of Carthage, um, African saint, um, 200. Um, so the early, early, early third century after um, the death of Christ. Um, his famous last words were, um, hold on, I have it written down, boom. His famous last words were, um, they said, look, you can get out of this or you can die. And his famous last words were, thanks be to God. And literally, <laughs> the, 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 and that chant became so popular, other African martyrs would notoriously chant out just before they died, thanks be to God. And his principle was, he believed, and I'm reading from you know, his, his writings, that his martyrdom would speak louder than his words. <laughs> That's cool. He backed out of free speech so that he could be martyred so that 2,000 years later, you and I could be talking about him. <laughs> making Saint this idea. Cyprium, Cyprium? Cyprium of Carthage. C-Y-P-R-I-A-N of Carthage. Fought against heresy, fought against a lot of stuff, made a lot of enemies, cost him his life. <laughs> And he could have gotten out of it. Famous last words. Thanks be to God. I love it. Kill you. Like literally they sentenced him to death and now you're going to die. Thanks be to God. Very cool. That's the, and he did pay like the, the executioner gold coins, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing dude. Anyway, I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I think that's great. Well, do we have... I'll be the moderator again now. I'm not asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, do we have any other comments, questions? I, I see Chris here unmuted. Chris unleashed. <laughs> I was just uh, preparing for us to close things out. All right. Yeah, let's do it. A little bit because I walked away from the computer from like not long after I asked my last question. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't have any other questions or anything like that. I was just jumping in to close things out. Cool. Okay. Okay. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Greg. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Steve. Uh, I think this was a, another successful um, discussion. Uh, thank you guys for leading us in it. Mm -hmm.